0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash Pod. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence, Dear,
2: Prudence. Dear, Prudence. Dear Prudence. do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Hi. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Josh Gondelman. Josh Gondelman is a stand-up comedian and a writer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. He has a book coming out in the fall of 2019 called Nice Try, but he's worried that you'll forget about it by then. Josh, how could anyone forget about anything you have done when you are one of the most delightfully memorable people ever to exist.
0: Well, thank you so much for saying so. I feel just likewise about you, and I very much appreciate your having me on your podcast to give advice to people we'll never meet.
1: I am so excited. Um, I was thinking of you in particular this morning because I got a question on the live chat that uh, was not directly about living in New York City, but it seemed very clear to me uh, to be a problem about moving to New York City, which was this person wrote in and said, I'm contemplating moving to a big city after I graduate college with my best friend. The problem is that her boyfriend, who's a year younger than us, will move in with us eventually. He's really charismatic, interesting and tidy, but he does a lot of cocaine. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that's why he's charismatic, interesting and tidy. He has a lot of energy to clean his room due to the cocaine.
0: Yep. He's got he's got a lot to talk about and a lot of energy for cleaning. I also feel like what a hilarious backhanded compliment. Like when you're the nicest thing you can say about someone when you're like, I don't like him, but he's very charismatic. That's a euphemism for he does a lot of cocaine.
1: Oh, whenever somebody opens with like this person's very charismatic, what they are saying is essentially like this person bears all the hallmarks of like sociopathy. Um, like if yes. you lead with charismatic to describe someone, you mean like, you know, like Hitler, like it's never <laughs> I think this is a good, reliable person that you should make an important part of like your rich inner life. It's always like, yeah, yes. watch out for this person. They will shine brightly at parties and steal your stuff. Yeah. Um. I think that the it was just really helpful to think like, yes, I can counsel a young person. Do not move in with somebody who, you know, does a lot of cocaine because it yeah. often happens, especially if you live in a big city in your 1920s. That's not the age in <laughs> your, your 1920s. 20s. I don't know. In the,
0: the 1920s. It's a
1: popular decade for cocaine.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yep.
1: You will probably end up like accidentally living with people who do cocaine that you did not know did cocaine. And it will make your life slightly less convenient because people who do cocaine uh, like to do a lot of cocaine and they like to talk about it a whole bunch. And they like to invite other people over to talk about how great the cocaine is. Um, and that makes it challenging to sleep or do anything that's not cocaine.
0: Yeah. It's a it's a real mess.
1: Like at least live with someone you don't already know, does it?
0: Yeah. If you're blindsided by it, that's fine. Uh, it's not ideal. But like that shouldn't be one of the central things you know about a person when you're moving in with them.
1: Right. If like your number one concern is I know he does a lot of cocaine. You have sufficient information to.
0: That's you know, a big it's a big red flag.
1: Yeah. That he He definitely does more than a little cocaine if you already know how much cocaine he does.
0: Yeah, that's it's like the tip of the iceberg. It's like you see the little pile on top of the mirror, but underneath the mirror there's a <laughs> giant pile.
1: I, I think this is really true, which is that, like, if whatever amount of cocaine you know someone to do, the answer can always be more, but never less. No one ever does less cocaine than you think they do. Like if you think they do no. none and they do none, you're right. If you think they do a little, they definitely don't do none.
0: Yes, 100 percent. I also enjoy the roaring 20s as a euphemism for the time of your life where you do the most cocaine.
1: 100 percent. Just like going
0: back to the 1920s.
1: Walk into a party like, has anyone noticed that the stock market seems to be crashing? Is just like a code for let's all go to the bathroom.
0: <laughs> a lot of black and white movies in here, if you know what I'm saying.
1: I believe that I'm picking up what you're putting down, Machine Gun Kelly. I was not expecting to spend so much of the show talking about cocaine use. Um, I don't advocate the use of cocaine. I hope you don't advocate the use of cocaine. I do advocate the use of good practical advice, and I would love to dispense some with you right now.
0: My pleasure and uh, a beautiful segue.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would love it if you would read our first question, not least because in my mind, you are the marriage and wedding expert. Um, So that's why I saved all these ones for you.
0: Dear Prudence, I'm getting married in June. We just sent out Save the Dates when my aunt and uncle announced they are getting a divorce. My uncle had an affair with an old family friend, someone we have invited to the wedding. My cousins are devastated. Two of them are in the wedding party, and I have spent more time comforting them than planning out the last details of my reception. Both my uncle and aunt have told me they will attend, even if I have to rearrange the seating chart. I have talked to the family friend and asked her not to come for the sake of my cousins. This greatly upset her, and she complained to my uncle. The uncle backtracked and now says they both have to come or he is not coming at all. I love my family and want them all there, but I am appalled by my uncle's insistence on immediate family acceptance of his affair. He is still legally married to my aunt, and both him and his mistress seem to be offended that my cousins are upset about this. The youngest one is only 15. What should I do here? I do not want to estrange anyone, but someone is not coming to this wedding. Can you imagine
1: the levels of confidence it would take to say, like, no, you're going to have to invite both my wife and my mistress to this wedding, or else I will decline to, like, deign you with the
0: pleasure of my company? That is Roaring Twenties Confidence, I'll tell you that. That man I don't has know done that's the some cocaine. <laughs> At least. Yeah. But yeah, that is what a lot of um, chutzpah, as uh, as my grandfather would describe it. That is an incredibly uh, imposing request and an incredibly... Uh, Onerous request.
1: Yes, sometimes people will write into me, and there will be something like, uh, "This difficult relative of mine says if I don't do outrageous thing, they won't come to the wedding." And I'm like, "Congratulations, you don't have a problem. This person has just decided to disinvite themselves from your wedding, and they sound like a real dang pill." So,
0: yeah, you get to invite someone you like better.
1: Yeah. Your wedding just got improved. And I understand the reason Mm -hmm. people interpret it as a problem is part of what it means is somebody is mad at me. Somebody who has already demonstrated they are willing to, like, do pretty inappropriate things and possibly go out of their way to make my life difficult. So it's not all like, you know, guns and roses. Nope, that's not the phrase. It's puppies and rainbows, sunshine and roses. It's not guns and Roses.
0: peaches and cream.
1: Something. It's not all gravy. But it's um, not all
0: Guns N' Roses. It's, <laughs> it's like Guns N' Roses is pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, like if your life was good, like 1994 era Guns N' Roses, you, you'd be like living mm-hmm. with that level of uh, success, right?
0: It's not all appetite for destruction. Sometimes life is lose your illusion too.
1: Now there's there's a level of happiness that probably involves a lot of cocaine. Um,, mm-hmm. but yeah, so so obviously, it's not fantastic. but, yeah, like you have just solved your problem, which is that I don't want the woman who was just involved in the breakup of my aunt and uncle's marriage uh, at my wedding., uh, and if those if my uncle doesn't want to go without her, then great. like, okay, i I accept your like non RSVP uh, and yes. and and say, like, don't come. That's fine
0: even under the the most benign circumstances, when someone recuses themselves from your wedding, that's okay. Like, you don't have to be upset about that, right? Like, if a friend is like, uh, I just can't get off of work. It's right. like, okay, I get that. You have your life and I have mine. And there's definitely like 20 people on this list that I haven't invited. And there will be someone to fill your spot. And I would love for you to be there, but it's okay that you're not there. But when it's someone who's like, holding the wedding hostage or the invitation hostage. It's like, good riddance on this one occasion. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you're not going to come make my wedding worse?
1: Oh, no, I'll have to enjoy myself. Like, the letter writer mentions, like, their cousins are devastated, and they've actually had to take a lot of time off planning the wedding to comfort them. So, like, it is additionally lousy that the uncle and uh, family friend in question are like, great, we have no problem, like, watching the kids struggle with the revelation that, like— are you know my marriage is crumbling because I cheated on my partner with an old family friend that everyone trusted, and I just don't really care if it makes was, my kids upset.
0: Was already so close with my family that they were already coming to the wedding.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was like a you know, I understand that marriages fall apart and that um, mm-hmm. that it's not always like the most pleasant looking thing, but like this was objectively like a a, a thoughtless um, act that, that has ramifications beyond just, like, the two of you got to have a fun affair, um, and it's very weird to, like, compound that with, like, invite us to the wedding, if my kids are crying, who cares, more cocaine, please, like, no, they're not coming to your wedding, great.
0: As Guns N' Roses would say, nothing lasts forever, even cold November rain, that being said, that is a rude, it's just, like, so rude, like, like, how would you... Like if I were in a fight with, you know, if I were invited to a wedding mm-hmm. and I had had like an awkward social situation with um with someone, you know, like maybe a fr- I had a falling out over uh some misunderstanding, I would feel so uncomfortable. And I would like I would say, hey, we had this terrible thing. I hope it's OK that I still come. I know there's this weird tension. I would certainly not be like, if this other person is coming, I'm um, out even though i wronged them. right
1: oh no i just like i am so uncomfortable at the prospect of being at a wedding where anyone would feel mad at me that the idea of showing up and be like what's up i ruined your aunt and uncle's marriage here to watch somebody else start a different marriage let's do this
0: why are those bridesmaids crying even more than bridesmaids usually do (laughs) what's going on there
1: in fairness uh, I don't want to pin all the blame on the old family friend because the person responsible for, you know, not cheating on his wife was the uncle in question. But everything else still stands.
0: Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. I'm one hundred percent putting this on the uncle who I'm certain is the the happiest, wealthiest person I've ever heard. of. Oh, he,
1: he definitely owns a boat, which is like the cocaine oh, of transportation. Yeah
0: hmm Okay. This yeah, is, for sure.
1: We got to move on to our next question. I have a feeling we could like uh, riff on all of these. No, we're just having too much fun. Um, sure. And this next one definitely gets like a little bit more intense. The subject line is just, I think I'm an abusive spouse. Dear Prudence... My husband and I have been together for around nine years. Lately, I feel like I have the emotions of a child in regards to my feelings towards him. I oscillate between contented love and absolute, searing hatred. I can go from being completely positive I hate him and want a divorce to being grateful and adoring in a matter of hours, maybe less. The real problem is that I unload all these feelings onto him, whatever they may be, whenever they happen. The arguments that trigger this kind of intense anger are usually minor. I've never been like this with any previous partners at all. I think my anger stems from the fact that he fell in love with another woman almost exactly a year ago and more or less forced me to try to accept and take part in polyamory, attending groups, reading books, going to a poly couples therapist, and even encouraging me to meet other people too. The whole situation wore on my mental and physical health heavily, and I still think about it daily. He's done everything to try and build up our relationship again, but I can't seem to stop this venomous hatred from spewing forth when I'm angry, including telling him that he should have picked her. Am I abusive? How can I stop? So this one really took me by surprise, because uh, it, it went in a direction that I was definitely not anticipating.
0: The turn in the middle was certainly not what I thought the natural progression of that message would be.
1: Right. And and the letter writer doesn't include a lot of details about what that intense anger looks like when they unleash it on their husband. So, yes. um it's certainly possible that they're doing or saying things that are um, you know, so over the top belittling or threatening um or or or, you know, intimating violence that there is something that that does need to be addressed, but so far The only detail that I see here is that I can't stop this venomous hatred from spewing forth, including telling him he should have picked her, uh, which is not an abusive statement.
0: No, it could be said certainly hatefully, but I don't think that qualifies as uh, abuse unless you uh, scream it in that person's face uh, 23 hours a day.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I don't I don't ever want to say to someone like I can guarantee that you 100 percent aren't. Yeah. Um, But based on what you have described to me, uh, I think you are in a terrible marriage uh, with somebody Mm -hmm. you should not keep being married to.
0: Yes. To me, it seems like the answer to the question, am I abusive, is you haven't described abusive behavior, although it may exist. And the answer to the question, what should I do about it, is leave your husband.
1: Yeah, because you say, I think my anger stems from the fact. And then you describe like eight things that are. Awful. Um, which is not to say that polyamory is objectively awful, but your husband cheated on you, fell in love with somebody else. And then his response to the hurt and betrayal that you felt was like, we're poly now. So come and do all this stuff and swallow your own feelings and get excited for me and start dating other people. Um, and that's horrible and painful and and just just deeply, deeply upsetting. So when you say things like he's done everything to try and build up our relationship again, frankly, I, I don't really know what he could have done in a year um that would be that would do everything. like he doesn't want the same things you want. He wants to be polyamorous. Maybe he has stopped pushing it on you because you've made yourself really clear or something. But, um he doesn't want to love you the way that you want to be loved and there's like you know that right like this is very very clear
0: yeah it that's not the kind of thing that that um that can be decided for you right that right. we are in a polyamorous relationship that's like a a decision that takes a lot of mutual uh trust and mutual mutual desire for that yeah, um, however it looks. Yeah, and, and I it think can't like
1: come on the heels of like, by the way, I cheated on you and now we're going to do this fun thing. Like, that's not how it works.
0: Or even if it's like, I'm in love with this other person. So now we're Polly, you're coming along on this adventure is like a very unfair thing to voice upon a person. Yeah. Uh, so- and, and an unkind thing.
1: Uh, I think I know why all of this anger is coming up periodically. It seems like on some level you have convinced yourself that because your husband has, like, quote unquote, done everything to try and build up your relationship again, you are not allowed to leave him. Um, and you you need to. Like, this is not something that I think you guys should work through in therapy, um, which I, I think is sometimes the case when there has been infidelity in a monogamous relationship, but both parties want to rebuild love and trust. Um, this guy is an asshole. Like he sucks and and he treated you very, very poorly. And the reason that you vacillate between love and fury throughout the day um, is because you loved this man very much. You love this man and he hurt you so, so, so badly Um, and then asked things of you that you did not want to give. And then you convinced yourself for a time, at least, that you could do those things for him and that didn't work. And now you're going to try to pretend that you're Okay, and you're not okay. This is not an okay relationship. What he did was awful. Um, So no, you're not abusive. You're miserable. You are miserable. And those brief moments where you feel grateful and adoring, I I don't believe are moments of true peace and contentedness. Uh, I I believe that they're desperate because you're terrified of losing him, even though you've already lost him. And I think that the sooner you get yourself to a counselor who is not a poly couple counselor who apparently thinks that you can counsel someone unwillingly into polyamory, uh, but somebody who's really going to, like, sit with you and acknowledge the pain and distress that his cheating and then after-the-facts attempt at, like, non-unanimous polyamory felt for you, um, you're going to feel a lot better. It's going to feel worse before it gets better, but I got to tell you, I see— I do. You don't even say he apologized. You say he's done everything to try and build up our relationship again. And you describe no details.
0: Which like that to me, it feels like saying my husband backed over my foot with his car because he wasn't watching where he was driving and he's done everything to get me medical attention since then. It's like you're not supposed to don't do the first thing the first thing is the problem you're not supposed to run over your your spouse's foot uh without their consent you know if your spouse is super into that i guess i mean like god bless um and and do it safely and do it in a healthy way but
1: that's always the thing somebody's got to be into it so being like i cheated on you we're poly now is so different from two people saying let's explore polyamory together uh one is great and the other is awful um it, it consent mm-hmm. makes all the difference in the world. So, yeah, you are not abusive, I don't think, based on what you have described here. I think your husband uh, is a very, very bad husband um, and also does not want the same kind of relationship that you do. And that you need to actually really acknowledge how angry you are with him and how much you do want a divorce, even though that scares you and and makes you feel like you're going to lose something. But that that's already gone. This guy fell in love with another woman. And then he wanted to keep doing that. That's what he wants, and if that's not you, what you want out of a marriage, then you shouldn't be with him anymore.
0: And and the even if the answer is you are, you have been abusive. Even if that has happened, all the other stuff still stands. Like that doesn't change the fact that like this is the seems like the wrong relationship for your needs. You're not getting your needs met, and in a really real grave way.
1: Yeah. So it, if there are ways in which you are you know, preventing him from leaving a room, attempting to monitor his private correspondence, attempting to control like when and where he goes on a daily basis, um, telling him that he's worthless, screaming constantly at him, throwing things, damaging his things, uh, you know, uh, physically intimidating him. If you are doing any of those things, then you also need to get into anger management uh, and separate Mm -hmm. physically from him. Um, But again, you don't describe any of those things. I I I Mm -hmm. think your last year has been so intense and you have felt so alien Alienated from reality, in part because your husband's attempt to force you into polyamory made you feel alienated from reality. You're worried that you're abusive right now because you have no real sense of like how you are grounded and how other people see you. But nothing you've described here sounds abusive. It just sounds emotional.
0: And and justifiably so.
1: Yeah. I, I, I would not be thrilled if this was how somebody broached the topic of polyamory with me. And I was like, no, thanks. And they were like, here's some books anyway. By the way, I've set up some dates for you. Like that's not listening
0: right that's not what you thought your marriage was going to be and that's like a a giant shift yeah and an unfair one to foist on someone
2: hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels so whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today your savings are waiting
1: to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Well, at least the next letter—it's uh, a problem, it's an issue—but I don't think I need to recommend divorce to anyone, which is great because I always like it when I don't have to tell people to get divorced. Would you please be so that good as great. to read it?
0: Of course. Uh, subject: Family, but not family. Dear Prudy, my wonderful partner is one of eight adult siblings in a close-knit family. They all live near one another and see each other on a regular basis. They're great, but very inward-facing and self-contained. Their parents, Betty and Carl, demand that all holidays, including some of their own making, are spent together with traditions strictly adhered to. Many pictures are taken at each event, but it's mostly just different groupings of, quote, blood family and their many children, rarely spouses and partners. This makes the rest of us feel left out. But when one in-law suggested that we take a picture together, Betty complained that we were being rude. Were we? Honestly, All the non-blood relations feel left out during picture-taking, and in general. If a non-blood family member suggests an activity, it's virtually always shut down, but participation in the traditions is mandatory. I've tried to bring this up to my partner, and they've tried to be understanding, but it continually comes back to the importance of their family. They're not bad people, but they're not very inclusive. Prudy, can you think of a safe, compassionate way to bring this up for discussion? Can we do this as an extended family? This is not just me, but for all the married-ins.
1: Woo! I just want to take a quick moment to shout out my extreme gratitude for not having in-laws.
0: And I would like to shout out my extreme gratitude for having very lovely in-laws.
1: Yeah, this is not helpful. This is just us being like, I'm glad this isn't a problem that I have right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, (laughs) imagine if that was all your advice. Yeah. Just like, man, thank goodness your life sounds very stressful. Yeah.
1: Have you tried solitude? It's awesome. You get to sleep alone, take up the whole bed. And no one tells you how to stand in photographs. Highly recommend it.
0: And you only have one set of relatives to get flustered with ever.
1: Yeah. This sounds like hanging out at Kennebunkport, right? Like this sounds like going down with like JFK <laughs> on the weekend and being like, oh, wake up at five in the morning for like the lobster racing.
0: Yeah. It's very, very Camelot. Um, I I do think the one thing about can we take a picture like that is that is not rude. To ask, can we be included in this picture of family? Maybe if they wanted a picture and then a second picture with the full family, both the married and the uh, blood relatives. God, what a distinction. Like, yeah, it blood felt very only now.
1: like. So metal.
0: Yeah, it definitely feels metal. The bloodline must continue. Oh uh, very, uh, very intense. But it, I think it's like, it's not wrong of them to have traditions that they value, but it is not right to make them to make others feel excluded when they're being invited and forced to participate in auxiliary ways
1: yeah so I, I would say you know if betty complains that you're being rude a of all y'all outnumber her right like um even if all the blood siblings like get on a mm-hmm. team the, like you the at least outnumber blood
0: princes and prince oh, sorry God. i talked right over you the
1: princess of the blood the blood royal <laughs> they must be allowed to persist <laughs> I could do this all day. Yes. But yeah, you're like, Yeah, you I know, really like it. You can absolutely say like, Hey, we're going to do one with like all the married couples. And if Betty and Carl are like, we don't want to be in that one. Cause we didn't give birth to any of you. You can be like, fine, no problem. Like this, this is great. You've already taken your pictures. We're going to do this other one. Um, that's perfectly appropriate. Also, if not everyone wants to take a giant picture, I, I tend to feel like group photographs are a a net drain rather than a net positive. I understand other people really love documenting when big groups of people get together and that different people might have different values in such an arena. But yeah, if it is important to you to take pictures with like certain clusters of people, just do it. You don't have to wait until you're all staging a big family photograph and get permission from Betty and Carl. Uh, If, you know, you and three of your favorite siblings want to take a picture or a bunch of the married couples want to take a picture together, you can absolutely go for it. And if somebody says something like that's rude you can say no that's not rude at all we're just really excited to take a picture together
0: yeah especially if they're making you attend holidays of their own design
1: yeah and i would say to that too like you say if a you know a a, a non like dauphin where it's like oh you are not of the blood royale you must walk backwards into versailles or whatever uh gets shot mm-hmm. down like you guys can do something else like if they're like no we're all gonna go like sled dogging into the sun today i assume this is like a very wealthy family that could be Just from the names Betty and Carl. Um, But yeah, Mm -hmm. if you guys want to do something else, do something else. If, my friend, you think you might not want to go on this vacation, you could send your spouse to be with their kind of irritating family and you could do something else. Love to advocate for separate vacations. Just want to, like, throw a shout out here. If you would rather take a trip with some of your friends um, who don't, like, require a a DNA test before they listen to your ideas, uh, you should do that
0: it seems like they are asking an awful lot of participation in all holidays plus made up holidays of the family's own devices. So like, yeah, you don't, that is more than you owe them as like a reciprocal partner. You don't owe your partner every holiday plus bonus holidays. So like you need to do things that will make you feel, um, celebrated as well.
1: Yes, good. Okay. Uh what by the way would just be like one piece of in-law advice that you would give the world to the people who are listening right now and suffering?
0: Oh my gosh, before we even got married, my wife said to me the first time that we visited her family. She goes, "If this all becomes a lot and you need to like take a nap or something or take 15 minutes and just like be in the room where we're staying by yourself, uh do that." And I have done the same. I've reciprocated that for her and I think that's like the, what a blessing to give someone. Uh, and I think like the the gift of solitude and knowing that your partner will not be mad at you and will uh, shield you from the kind of blame of others. I think that's like a really beautiful gift to give.
1: I just want to like take a minute and rise up and call you blessed for talking about the gift of solitude, <laughs> which is always the greatest gift anyone can give your partner. Um, just leave them alone. Move away. Move to the moon. That's maybe too far. I think we all have different comfort levels when it comes to solitude. Uh, But that's definitely something that everyone should consider. Like, have I given my partner the gift of solitude today? And if not, why?
0: It is, like, so, so kind, especially amongst their family, because you feel the pressure, like... To be on your best behavior 24-7 and for – because you can't just take solitude, right, because then you seem like you're being petulant. But if, like, if you give it to someone, it is, like, a real uh, high-level care you can give to a partner.
1: Josh, I have saved you one final question. It is a voicemail, uh, and it is about young adults living in New York City. And you are the only person I know in New York City who's talking to me (laughs) right now. So I thought I would
0: save it for you. Thank you.
1: Anytime. Hi.
2: I am a young adult living in New York City. So I have apartment mates. And before we agreed to be apartment mates, we all seemed like we were friends. But two of my apartment mates moved in before I did. And once I got there, they were not friends. I don't know what happened between them. I tried to talk to them about it. They asked me to stay out of it. And it's kind of an hostile and awkward environment in my apartment now because two of my three roommates do not speak to each other. In addition, although I thought I was friends with both of them before, one of them is really getting on my nerves. She complains about everything. And the other one is just polite and cordial. But not responding to my friendly overtures. Not really wanting to be actually friends, hanging out with me at all. Um, so I'm very disappointed by this situation. And I'm wondering whether you can imagine anything I would have done or could do
1: that would improve it. Thanks. Bye. Sorry a little bit about that sound.
0: Oh, yeah, that is the very New York City thing of only being able to talk privately on the phone while you're walking down the street, surrounded by the most people.
1: All I can think of is that old vine of just, and they were roommates, and they were roommates. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they, um, I think there there is stuff to be done here. I think you can improve the situation. Uh, and by that, but I don't think you have to make them all friends or be friends with them, but you because they're not obligated to be your friends. And it's disappointing to feel like you're missing out on friendship, but there are other people to be friends with. Unfortunately, right now, it seems like there aren't other people to be roommates with. So you have to set roommate ground rules and talk about that, I think. That's, to me, the only way to make it better, is to make the roommate part better, if not the friend part.
1: Yeah. And I tend to be... I think I actually probably lean a little too far on this side of the scale when I do the podcast, which is like, don't make friends at work. You're just there to do your job. Then go home and live your real life. (laughs) Uh, Or like... Roommates aren't your friends either. They're your roommates. Be civil and clean up your own dishes. And I realize, like, if I add all those things together, my general life advice is like, don't sleep with your partner, don't talk to your roommates, don't talk to your co-workers, leave everyone and walk into the sea, which...
0: Build a very tall tower, stand on it when you have free time, and ignore the world.
1: Yes, gaze onto the triple moons of your home planet. (laughs) Yeah, which is not advice that everyone can take, but I would say... I would say, you know, voicemail lever, maybe reduce your friendship expectations of your roommates by 30 to 40 percent. Don't get rid of it all. You don't even have to have it. But, uh, you know, take it down a significant amount. Um, If all you get out of a roommate situation, especially in New York City, um, is that... You know, at least half of your roommates are polite and 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 that's it. Um, and the other one is just kind of irritating, but not actively like, you know, letting raccoons in to do cocaine from the fire escape at night. You're doing OK.
0: Yeah. On the spectrum of terrible roommates, um, someone that always seems a little irritated and someone who's nice but doesn't want to hang out like in New York, that's like an A minus. And so you're doing OK. You're not deficient in any way because of the scenario that that you're in. And yeah, scaling back your expectations is fine. And maybe you were counting on these people to be like part of your social group, but you'll find other people to be friends with. And you like like Mallory, as you were saying earlier, right, The don't be friends with your mates, don't be friends with people at work. I think the blanket advice, too, is like don't be friends with anyone who like isn't warmly receptive or or interested in your friendship. Uh, you don't have to convince anyone of your worth or your, you know, the the goodness of you and your friendship.
1: Right. You don't know what happened between them. You've already asked. They told you to stay out of it. So there's, you know, I, I don't really think that it's a good idea to press that issue further, especially given that mm. you don't know them super well, right? Like you say, like you kind of knew them before, but when they showed up, they were like, something happened between us. We don't really want to talk about it. So. Obviously, it's unpleasant when your living environment feels tense and irritating. If you have one roommate who feels like they're always getting on your nerves... It is fine to minimize your contact with them, and it is fine to like bring things up as they bother you. Like if they've left a bunch of dishes out, to say like, "Hey, put your dishes in the sink," um, and don't kind of dance around the subject, or don't let every time you gaze upon their dishes, let the hate and loathing build up inside of you until one day you leave a horrible note in the kitchen covered in smiley faces, talking about how important it is to have a dish policy because that is not the most effective way to communicate your feelings about dishes. So you know, minimize the contact with the one who is irritating. Um, Accept the politeness and cordialness from the one who is polite and cordial. I think it is pretty clear at this point that y'all are not going to be friends, right? They're not friends with each other. One of them you don't like, and the other one has made it pretty clear that they don't want to be friends with you.
0: I think that's another um, important thing, right? If you're like, this person's always on my nerves. It's not just that they they're being that they don't like you. It's like you don't like them, and that's okay to own. Like if this this person, I don't want to be friends with this person. That's an okay feeling to have. Like, you don't have to want to be friends with someone because you thought you were going to be or because you live with them. um, And you just, like, your only responsibility to one another is to, like, be a courteous roommate. Yeah, I think, like, raising concerns if they're practical concerns of, like, hey, the way you're getting on my nerves is you don't pull the shower curtain when you shower and the water just pours out into the floor of the entire apartment, like that scene in uh, The Shape of Water where the whole apartment is wet. Uh, so, I've not seen like, The Shape of Water.
1: A, You've exposed my shame.
0: No, that's okay. I don't mean to spoil it. There's a scene where the apartment I know is she fucks wet. the fish. <laughs> I mean, that's all I came into it knowing. And I was like, who's the fish? Who is she? How does she meet a fish? So that uh, that was all answered pretty quickly. And then I was just like, when do they fuck? <laughs> <laughs> And it's like most of the way through. Yeah. But okay. watching them get to know each other is pretty lovely. But anyway, if it's like a practical apartment thing, bring it up. If it's just that you don't like their personality, uh, yeah, hang out with them as little as possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like if it, if it's really, really important to you to live with friends uh, at some point, you know, you can try to seek out a living situation with other people you know better and who aren't as closed off. Uh, My take on this situation is accept the situation you've got, which is not that bad. Um, You know, it's fine to be a little disappointed. Obviously, you would have liked to have been friendlier with them, but that's not going to happen. So cultivate friendships elsewhere. Spend time at other people's apartments. uh, Go out, you know, spend time with your other friends. um, And, you know, the next time that you try to move in with friends, it might go even worse uh, because it is a very big city and a lot of people want to live there and it's very expensive. So... Uh this I feel like I'm not being sufficiently sympathetic to your problem. I don't mean to make it sound no, like I, this is fine. Just it could be way worse.
0: It's not great. On the other hand, right, it could it could certainly be worse and like it's not a failing of yours that it happened it's happening the way it is. And like your roommates like it's it's really hard to move to New York and it's it's hard when especially to live in a place with three roommates where uh you don't feel like you have like refuge or or a kind year or like someone to go to a diner with but like those people exist and and you'll find them and you'll bond with them and and it's okay that it's not these people and it doesn't have to be this and uh you're not indebted to live with them forever so it's like a there's an expiration date on this weird strange situation
1: yep yep and um you know If you're still like looking for roommates in another year, uh, I know a charismatic, interesting, tidy guy who's planning on moving to New York City right around that time.
0: (laughs) There is there's one minor flaw in his personality,
1: which is that he does some cocaine.
0: Which means he does a lot, as much cocaine as is presented to him. Yeah, or he seeks out.
1: Yeah, at, at a certain point, anyone who does some cocaine will eventually go for how much cocaine is there. That's the amount I do now.
0: I asked a friend once I was writing a, a, like a script or something, and I asked a friend, "I go, hey, you, you've been around more than I have and seen more things than I have, and I go, how much, like, how much cocaine?" do you do when you do cocaine for the sake of writing this script accurately? And he goes, you, you do how much you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you do it all. And I was like, uh, yeah. And then it's gone. And then if you can't get more, you're done.
1: Yeah, that's that's how you know you're finished.
0: It sounds like we're just this is a podcast where we give advice on how much cocaine to do. But it's not. It does make
1: us both sound very worldly when uh, I think mm-hmm. in in reality, you and I have probably uh, had a lot lot less of opportunities for cocaine in our lives than many of our contemporaries. I I, I often had the feeling that I have spent my entire life leaving parties about forty five minutes before the cocaine broke out.
0: I re- I saw it. I didn't even see it for most of college. And then I remember someone I was at a just a friend's house uh, and. Their roommates were all doing coke, and then they offered it to me very generously, and I said, no, thank you. <laughs> and that was the end of that, that
1: is friendship. A, that it, was the
0: end of that friendship. That is a
1: really, like, that's, that's, that's a parent's dream, right? Which is just, that's exactly how it's going to go down.
0: Right. Not doing drugs, but maintaining politeness. That is, like, I think if I told my parents that, uh, I don't think I told them that story any time close to when it happened, but I think if I had, they would, like, be worried, and then they would be instantly relieved that my... Uh, my instincts kicked in as they had programmed them to it is a
1: real midwestern problem of just like drugs i can't do drugs but
0: i can't be rude yes i uh i'm often mistaken for midwestern or canadian
1: i understand that i am midwestern and um so i'm never mistaken for it in as much as i simply <laughs> am but i can definitely see where people get that impression are you like a native east coaster
0: i grew up just outside boston which nobody guesses
1: I would not have. I spent I spent a really long time being confused that Boston is north of New York.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a little north and and then east. People don't think I'm from there because I'm never like trying to fight strangers or like crying at the sea.
1: You know, I mean, that actually does describe a fair amount of my life. um, And I'm not even a little bit from Boston. (laughs) I barely even know where it is. So everything in life is a little bit of a surprise. Josh, thank you so much for being on the show. This was fabulous. You are fabulous. and uh, Thank you
0: so much for having me. I'm sorry I last worded you so much. I just, uh, like, you would say a thing and then I would get excited to say another thing.
1: Please don't apologize for being a guest on my show because you were supposed to be a guest. And that's what guests do is they talk to me.
0: Thank you, Mallory. Thank you for having me. It was a, a joy.
1: Absolutely. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Looking for more from Slate? Amicus is Slate's show about the law and, of course, the Supreme Court. Dahlia Lithwick explores court decisions, arguments, and the justices on the bench to shine a light on litigation in the time of Trump. Get deep into the legal weeds and hear some of the nation's greatest legal minds dissect what's going on in the courts in the country. You'll find a new episode in your podcast feed every other Saturday morning.
2: Step into the world of power, loyalty,